now that I've lulled you into complacency with my relatively uncontroversial podcast topics, I'm hitting the controversial topic of do-it-yourself fecal transplants. This has been going on for almost 10 years with techniques and do-it-yourself videos shared on the internet. Michael, who I interviewed for the podcast this week, has given himself nine fecal transplants to try and cure his IBS, irregular heartbeats, and severe fatigue. So we talk about his efforts to find suitable donors, how the FMTs have impacted his health, and how to properly screen a donor. And he actually talks about how to do do the transplant physically. And we discuss the need for high-quality, healthy donors and the potential profit healthy people may be flushing down the toilet. And since our recording, a site has been created that is called microbioma.org to connect high-quality stool donors and recipients. So if you have a super healthy athletic friend who you think might be a great donor, please send them this podcast and ask them to listen because they could be saving someone's life or health. Also, please press subscribe so you won't miss future episodes. Upcoming guests include Dr. Joseph Petrozino, Director of the Center for Metagenomics and Microbiome Research at Baylor University, and two naturopaths from Alberta, Canada, who will be talking about candida and SIBO, or small intestine bacterial overgrowth. Hi, everybody. This is Lindsay Parsons with The Perfect Stool. And today I'm talking to Michael from Riverside, California. And Michael is a many-time do-it-yourself fecal transplant uh, experiencer. (laughs) He has done it nine times to himself in efforts to cure some health problems. And so thank you, Michael, for talking with me today. Yeah, sure. So can you tell me first about your health problems and when they started? Um, they started, uh, they, they came out gradually since I was a kid. I can't really, uh, pin it down to any one point because, you know, I was never like in perfect health. I can always remember like some thing here and there that I was having issues with, uh, since I was like five or so. But, you know, the fatigue came on a little stronger around, uh, 14 years old. Fatigue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was getting some heart problems as well, like, uh, irregular beats. And I was having, uh, irritable bowel syndrome around that time as well. And how did that manifest itself? Well, I know that there's both constipation and diarrhea. What did you alternate right. or did you have both or, or, or one or the other? No, for me, it was mostly uh, gas and, uh, some constipation. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, later on, the, uh, I took an antibiotic that switched me to uh, diarrhea. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what did you try or what did doctors prescribe to help you overcome um, at least your gut health issues? Yeah, they, they really had no, uh, they really had nothing to offer at all. Um, I guess I was given antacids at one point and then um, I was given uh some various stool softeners and recommended to get some uh, over-the-counter uh, fiber supplements, and none of those uh, helped. They, they either made it worse or, yeah, I think they just mostly made it worse. Mm-hmm. And did your parents, were they concerned about it? Were they doing things to try and intervene? My parents were pretty mostly uh, concerned with themselves. Okay. <laughs> they didn't get involved too much. Okay. So what got you to the idea of doing fecal transplants yourself or, or at all? Yeah. So I think I, I had done like a, I really dove into the internet 
because um, since doctors had no answers, you know, that, that was the alternative where you go for information. So I had been on some forums for uh, quite a while, and I think I probably saw it mentioned there and talked about there. And I think they linked to some YouTube videos of people demonstrating it. But at the time that I learned about it, I knew that I didn't know anyone healthy enough to be a donor. So I kind of put it in the back of my mind. And then uh, just for a few years, I, I didn't really um, take any action on it. Mm-hmm. And so some people might be listening and thinking, okay, so fatigue and some constipation, like that's, does it, it seems kind of extreme. So can you tell me a little bit more about how these health issues have impacted you? Yeah. So I was very athletic growing up. I was playing as many sports as I could. I wanted to be professional soccer player first and then professional basketball player as I got taller and I moved to the States. And yeah, like the heart problems, the breathing problems and fatigue, they all affected me like more and more until um, I was really struggling with uh, athletics and I eventually had to stop that uh, in high school. And then, um, you know, it continued to get worse until I had to stop uh, high school completely. And, uh, A few years later, I got on disability. Mm -hmm. And so tell me about how you went about looking for donors for your FMTs or fecal microbiota transplants. Yeah, so that's like the the really hard part, Um, especially for me since I was mostly just living alone by myself. I never really went anywhere, so I didn't have like a lot of uh, real-life friends or I wasn't real close with my family, so it it was really difficult for me. Mm -hmm. So um, I mainly tried, like, online avenues, uh, various forums, um, people I had played uh, games with online. I, you know, talked to them about it. And did you lead with, I'm looking for your stool, or did you lead with, I'm having some health problems, can you help me out? I think I just uh, just straight up told them – Gave them, I probably linked them some uh, information on uh, fecal microbiota transplants and um, just said, you know, I'm looking for a donor. Yeah, I need someone in perfect health. Mm-hmm. And what was what was the typical response? Uh, you know, it really varied from person to person. You know, one guy, he was like, yeah, totally, I'll, I'll do that. And um, you know, I sent him over the questionnaire and he, uh, you know, he was eager to, uh, you know, fill it out and, and be helpful any way he could. And then um, another person uh, was also like, yeah, uh, totally, I'll do that. But then, you know, later flaked out on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it really varies from person to person. And I think um, most people are are uh, happy to do it. But the problem is um, none of the people I knew were healthy enough. Mm-hmm. And can you talk a little bit about the screening criteria? Like what, how healthy does one have to be to be a good donor? Yeah, that, that's a that's a really hard part because um, right now there's a lot of unknowns and um, the testing uh, cannot be it, it's so limited right now, so it can't be relied upon to either screen for completely for safety or completely for uh, efficacy. So a questionnaire, like a really in-depth questionnaire, uh, is one of the main screening tools. And what would preclude someone from being a donor? Well. Picking a donor right now is kind of like a risk versus reward. Mm-hmm. Since it's so hard to find someone in perfect health, uh, you have to basically 
just have them like fill out a, a really long questionnaire and then basically go through it and see if there's like something that they have that you think might be uh, too risky that you could contract from them. Mm-hmm. And then you have to compare that to like the potential reward. And so on the reward side, it would be the factors would be like um, their lifetime antibiotic use. Like what would be the most recent antibiotic you would accept? Like if somebody had done antibiotics a year before, would that be okay? You know, antibiotic use is a complicated thing. It, um, it Different people are impacted differently by different antibiotics. Mm-hmm. So there's no real straight rule for that. I know that a lot of the stool banks and clinics, they like to say three months. Some take, might say it take much longer to rebound than that. Yeah, and some people never rebound. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's evidence that antibiotics do permanent damage. And in my experience, the donors with zero lifetime antimicrobial use are the only ones who qualify as a high-quality donor. And have you actually found people who've never taken antibiotics? Uh, yeah, I, I did get really lucky, I guess. And I found two of them. Yeah. And, yeah, they, they were, like, much, much more effective than people who had taken antibiotics. And were they young? Is that how they'd managed to never take them? Yeah, they were young. But um, so the thing is, is that, like, there there are impacts even from, like, the parents. There are, general, there are generational um Impacts. So even if you find a kid that has not taken an antibiotic, that doesn't guarantee that they're a high quality donor because they could have inherited a low quality microbiome and low quality genetics from their parents. Mm-hmm. And so genetics impact your microbiome? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, so you were looking for donors online. Were there any other methods you used for looking for donors? Yeah. I printed out some flyers and um, I went to uh, my local universities. I tried to go either to the um, like athletics fields like track and field um, or uh, like outside the gym and I kind of just, you know, sit around and uh, try to spot people who look like exceptionally healthy and athletic. And then I would go up to them and uh, hand them a flyer. And what was the response from that? Basically, like, if, if I would chat to people, like, I, I was, like, super fatigued, so chatting with people was, like, really difficult for me. Even, like, going out was really difficult for me, and I couldn't do it that much. But um, when I would talk to them, they would seem, like, you know, fine with it. They would just never get back to me. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, basically, I probably handed out um, over 60 flyers to, like, really healthy, athletic-looking people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I only got one response. And did that person become a donor? Yep. They, uh, they donated one time mm-hmm. and, uh, it, they seemed really effective. They were really friendly, mm-hmm. but for some reason, for some unknown reason, um, they stopped responding and they only donated that one time. Mm-hmm. And what about, um, a donor related to say STDs and that sort of thing? Presumably they can't have any of those. Yeah, absolutely. You would want someone uh, with no STDs. And so how, if somebody's young and sexually active, can you feel safe that they may not acquire one between when you've last spoken to them? And Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Were you requiring any kind of testing or asking that they see their doctor and do tests before they gave? For me, it was just that one donor. Mm -hmm. And um, I had 
like screen them through my questionnaire first. Mm -hmm. And from that, I didn't see any risk factors. Okay. Like they weren't, they weren't, they were in a monogamous relationship or not in a relationship or. Right. Not in a relationship. They were, they were not sexually active with any, any partners. Okay. So yeah, I didn't bother with that, but otherwise I would typically want them to go to a, you know, local STD clinic and get, you know, free testing. Right. And you weren't paying for any testing for your donors, correct? Yeah, I did not because I, I'm super poor. Right. And that's, uh, that's but, I presumably why you never looked at or, or didn't consider going to one of the clinics that do this overseas or. Right. So th- th- there's a couple reasons for that. The, the one is they're, they're very expensive. The other factor is that they do not give quality info on their donors. So mm-hmm. you can't determine whether their donors are safe or effective. They will not like uh, they've pretty much all I, I've contacted most of them and, and they've they've all refused to give out information on uh, donor quality. Mm-hmm. Meaning what their screening criteria is. Yeah, they they won't say they won't say what rules out a donor. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like what we need from them would be like the in-depth questionnaire that I would put my donors through, mm-hmm. and they they won't give out that kind of information. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay, and so you you successfully found nine donors. How long did it take you to find the first one? Um, the first one, I um, I was probably searching for maybe six months to a year. And then um, I kind of, uh, I, I wasn't really um, on great terms with my family, but I finally just uh, reneged and like contacted them. And uh, so that's where I found the first two donors. They were both um, nieces and nephews. Mm-hmm. And then the subsequent donors were, well, we know you found one from Athletic, from your, your outreach to, how, how about the others? The third donor, I got kind of lucky with like, uh, they, they were, they were someone, um, I was getting raw milk from. Mm-hmm. So it was a kid from the family I was getting raw milk from. And then, uh, the fourth donor was the, um, the college athlete. And then donor five was one of my online friends who I had previously ruled out because of various risk factors. I, I knew him to be a low quality donor, but. Uh, I was so desperate at that point that I did it anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did pay the price for that. I did contract some new problems. Mm. Tell me about those in a minute. But first, let me lead this to the rest of the donors. Where did you find them? I found two more donors online on uh, a Reddit forum. Mm-hmm. And then the, let's see, eighth and ninth donors were both from the RDS clinic in Florida. So how does that work? Um, you basically contact them and they will, they're not, no doctor is allowed to do fecal microbiota transplants for anything other than C. difficile uh, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So they will uh, refer patients directly to the donors mm-hmm. and then uh, you'll get the stool from the donor. The donor will send it on uh, dry ice and then uh, you do it yourself. And do you have to pay those donors? Yeah, it's uh, about $80 per infusion. And then uh, the dry ice shipping is the expensive part. It's like, um, you know, 160 bucks. Okay. Got it. And it's just one, one essential, one inf- infusion. Yeah, but you can get more and you can also get capsules. 
Mm-hmm. The capsules are like uh, $10 per capsule. Okay. Please excuse my brief mid-podcast break, but I wanted to let you know that if you're struggling with weight and or health problems, my specialty is helping clients break the cycle of yo-yo dieting to lose weight and keep it off for life and improve health problems naturally. I help people understand and address the root causes of health problems that the modern medical system can only put a Band-Aid on to help reverse or prevent chronic illness. So this includes autoimmune and digestive issues, cardiovascular disease, reversing prediabetes or type 2 diabetes, thyroid problems, eczema and or unexplained rashes, or really any unexplained health problem. So if you're struggling in any of those areas, I offer my listeners a free one-hour discovery session, which is a $97 value, to talk with me about your health issues and see if I can help you through health coaching. So if that sounds like you, reach out to me via email at lindsay at highdeserthealthcoaching.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. Or check out my website, highdeserthealthcoaching.com and schedule a session from there. I can coach face-to-face in Tucson or over the phone or video chat just about anywhere. So if you miss those links, but you're interested, they're all in the show notes. And I'd love to hear from you. Okay. And so tell me about the kinds of results that you've seen. Have you have you seen improvements in your health from these FMTs. Yeah, so the first donor, they were a really high-quality donor. I was really lucky to find them. They just had one issue with uh, cramping that I contracted. Mm-hmm. But I – so the, that that donor, in, in like the uh, the first like five to six hours, I started getting like, um, I guess, feverish-type symptoms with uh, like cold sweats. And then uh, they went away. And then uh, the next morning, I was feeling like much, much better. Mm-hmm. Um, I was feeling really energetic, even exercising a bit. And, you know, previously, I was in bed all day, like in complete agony. So it was a huge, it was a huge improvement for me. Mm-hmm. Great. And, and did that last? It only lasted uh, a few days. Uh, it kind of wore off. But I also, I was on taking a modium for, Fatigue, uh, emodium just for diarrhea, but I, you know, it, it was, it's hugely uh, beneficial for my fatigue. Mm-hmm. So I was relying on it for that. And, um, I kind of like quit everything, uh, too soon, I think. And then I, I changed, like I, I was on a really restricted diet. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I think I tried to go to a, you know, a complete diet, um, right away. I, I was expecting a cure, like I was expecting too much too soon, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So I might have been able to um, you know, extend the benefits, but pretty much it, it does seem like, you know, one uh, transplant is not enough for most people. For C. difficile, it seems to be, you know, enough for a lot of people, even most people. But for other conditions, it seems like you need, you know, daily uh, transplants for weeks or possibly mm-hmm. months. And were you telling donors up front that that was what you were hoping for or... Did they go in with the expectation that it was a one-time deal? Well, at that time, I thought it would be a one-time deal. I didn't, you know, this whole time that I was going through donors, you know, I, I was evolving in my knowledge and uh, I was following the literature the whole time. So there are new studies coming out all the time. And so my knowledge was evolving. And um, yeah, at the time of the first donor, I thought it would be a one-time deal. And then when, when I asked them, you know, to do more, they, they declined. So mm-hmm. I had to find another one. And so, um, how about the other ones? You, you, yeah. Presumably, so, you needed more help after the first one, so so you kept going. Yeah. So don't by by the time of donor two, I knew that I would probably need more than one. 
and um, they did agree to do that. But I only got like pretty mild initial benefits from donor two. And um, I realized um, after like, I think four days that um, they just weren't a high enough quality donor. They didn't give the same benefits as the previous donor. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I saw, I saw that in the, um, the questionnaire beforehand and I saw that in their stool, their stool reflected, um, antibiotic use that I've seen happen to my own stool. And what do you see in the stool that has, has seen antibiotics? Well, you know, it, it, that really varies from person to person and antibiotic to antibiotic. But what I saw was, the the front of the stool was like hard pellets mm-hmm. and then the rest of the stool was like softer and loose and um lighter in color and it was smelly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you could tell from the stool you weren't getting a great sample. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so did you see any benefits from the subsequent donors? So donor two was mild, um donor three was also mild, and I also saw that their stool type was not ideal. And we're shooting for a, a three or a four, or what, what, what are you shooting for on the Bristol stools chart? Yeah, so at this time, I had no idea how important um, stool uh, type was, and so I wasn't really going for anything. I just... Uh, but now, what would you say? Now, it seems like high-quality donors have type three stools only. Okay. Uh, type four stool doesn't seem to represent a intact, disease-resistant gut microbiome. Okay. And that's that's your personal opinion, or do you do you have you also read research to that effect? There is some research to support that conclusion. A lot of it is from my experiences with the nine donors. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to other people's experiences, I've been like trying to, you know, I've been, I've been participating on like forums and everywhere I can that has to do with FMT and like talking to other people about their experiences and trying to get details from them about what worked and what didn't. And so from from all of that together, you know, it seems like type four just it's not like oh, when you look up the Bristol stool chart, it shows type three and type four as um, good. Mm-hmm. And that's what's used as the, the official standard. Mm-hmm. But it's not really based on any evidence as far as I know. It's kind of just intuition. Okay. So, yeah, from experience, it, it seems like uh, type three is, is the only good one. Okay. So did you, have you had some positive effects from the remaining FMTs? Yeah. So donor three was also mild. Donor four was the college athlete and that was, that was highly effective. I had taken, like prior to that, I had taken an antibiotic called Flagyl or metronidazole Mm -hmm. and it did damage to my tendons and my skin. It made my skin like, um, kind of look older and wrinkly and took sun damage really easily. And um, it seemed like the uh, the one from the college athlete started to uh, reverse that damage. But, you know, it was only one. I only did uh, one effusion from them, so it wasn't that much. Mm-hmm. And then and um, were you giving time between these different donors to, to see if it would take effect over time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, over what period of time did you do these nine transplants? Let's see. The first one was... In July of 2016, mm-hmm. and the ninth one was, um, you know, October 2018. So for a period of two years. Okay, so you were so you can go on about the 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 benefits. So after the after the athletic guy, how did you feel different? I got like just kind of like all around boosts. 
there, there was like an, an initial period again, like the same with like donor one, where the, there was an initial period where it feel like it caused some reaction. And, uh, you know, I got like kind of worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was like really temporary only for like, um, uh, six hours. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I clearly started seeing benefits. And that's probably some sort of a die off reaction of the, of the pathogenic, uh, bacteria, don't you think? Yeah, I don't really like the word die off. Okay. Probably some kind of immune system stimulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some kind of, you know, changing of the guard. You know, new guys come in, kick out the old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Why don't you like the word die off? Well, because I've seen people like use it inappropriately, I feel. Mm-hmm. For example, like it seems like people take stuff that's harming them and, you know, other people are like, hey, it's just die off. Keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had people encourage me to continue doing things that were cl- that I knew were clearly harming me. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, no, it's just die off. Keep doing it. And mm-hmm. I did keep doing it and it kept harming me. Yeah. And uh, that happened, you know, many times with many things. So. Okay. Okay. And then, uh, and what about the later donors, six through nine? Six through nine, I got some initial improvements. Like they were very mild from number six. I, I was finding out some, cause donor five was one who gave me new problems and like new, um, food sensitivities and they were kind of severe. And so I was dealing with uh, figuring those out at the same time that I was trying donor six, but I did get some like mild improvements from donor six. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think I got any improvements from donor seven. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't have uh, chose to do donor seven. I, I just, uh, you know, I was desperate again. Mm-hmm. And e- even donor six, I, I knew they weren't ideal, but they didn't seem to have like any uh, risk factors. So I tried them anyway. Mm-hmm. And then donor seven, can't remember who, oh yeah, donor, okay, donor seven, yeah, I didn't get any approvals from them. Donor eight was, uh, the RDS donor. And, um, it, I, I don't think I got like any apparent benefits, but I did notice changes to my stool, uh, right away. Mm -hmm. And so I started trying, um, different dietary stuff. Mm-hmm. And I figured out that they basically uh, fixed my bile acid metabolism. So after I had taken a um, an antibiotic many years prior, I took Zyfaxan, Rifaximin, mm-hmm. and it, that antibiotic seemed to destroy my bile acid metabolism. I had like major problems with meat and uh, fat after that. Mm-hmm. And that's the antibiotic that switched me from um, IBS-C to IBS-D. Mm. So this donor seemed to uh, repair that, and I was able to start eating fat again. And so that was really nice. Wow. So at this point now, and, and let me ask this, at, at any point during all of this, did you stop and say, maybe fecal transplants are not the solution to my health problems? Maybe there's some other solution? There were like like many points where I was doubting myself, and then, um, you know, th- then I would find Probably before donor, uh, the, before the college athlete, I think it was donor four, I was doubting myself. And then, um, once I got that and I saw those big benefits and it, you know, it, it gave me, uh, you know, hope again. Yeah. So you're just, you're convinced that your problems are centered in the gut. Well, since I like follow the uh, microbiome research really closely, like every day for, you know, the past few years, 
you know, I see all this evidence in the literature to support, you know, the microbiome being causative for like pretty much every illness. And so that plus my experiences, like I, I also had really beneficial and detrimental experiences with probiotics. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, that added to it as well. And do you, do you attribute the detrimental effects of probiotics to your sort of weakened state to begin with? Possibly, possibly like it, it, you know, obviously the, the probiotic I took is not detrimental to everyone who takes it. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, there's some kind of predisposition that, you know, someone has to have in order to see the detriments from it. In my case, possibly, probably all the antibiotics I had taken kind of left my gut microbiome bare. And so this uh, probiotic came in and, you know, had the opportunity to, to take over and, and that was problematic. Mm-hmm. And had you taken a lot of antibiotics as a child? Is that when all this started? I think I, you know, I, I grew up like, um, like really healthy, well, a really healthy environment, like eating really healthy, but you know, we, that was the environment we grew up in. We, we didn't really go to the doctor at all. So I don't remember taking any antibiotics or, or really any medication until I think I had like a, a fungal, I don't know if it's called infection, but a, a fungal, uh, appearance on my uh, skin. And uh, I was given something for that. I think I did take something orally, probably an antifungal. Mm-hmm. And that was like around, I think, 14 years old. So that, that was probably the first time. Mm-hmm. And actually, that was when I probably, uh, that was around the time when I started having problems. So. Hmm. Okay. And and you mentioned you'd had some, you've taken probiotics <clears throat> that have been beneficial. What Which are those? What, what strains? Um, yeah, so probiotics, you know, I had learned about them many years prior and I had tried, I, I wanted to go for the, uh, you know, the whole, the whole foods natural approach. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what I also had read on the, on the internet that was good. So I went with like fermented foods. Um, I also read that high CFU counts and like the uh, large strain counts in one product were good. So I went for that and I didn't get any good results from either fermented foods or those multi-strain high CFU probiotics. Mm-hmm. And so wh- when I was following the literature, I found out that what you need to go for are specific products and specific strains for your specific condition. Mm-hmm. And in my case, it was IBSD. And the good ones for that are Culturel, which is Lactobacillus GG, mm-hmm. and um, Saccharomyces boulardii. So those two, I got really big benefits from. Mm-hmm. Did you continue to take those? Yeah. Yeah. They basically, um, I was having like really major problems at the time that I found those and they like, they completely reversed my condition to like really beneficial. I was running sprints. Even I, you know, I went from like in bed all day with like having like heart problems. I think I, you know, had just gone to the ER. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they completely reversed my condition. I was running sprints, you know, feeling really, really good for maybe like a year. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, you know, it wasn't a complete recovery. You know, I was still having like many food intolerances. So, you know, I kept on like trying other probiotics. And that's when I ran into the one that um, caused like really bad detriments. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that it did was it seemed to negate all the benefits that I was getting from those, those two really beneficial ones. Mm-hmm. So, 
that was really problematic for me. And at that, that was the point where I was like, okay, now probably FMT is the only thing that can help me. Mm-hmm. So that was prior to all the FMTs. Yeah. Okay. And so tell me about some of the negative effects that you've gotten from some of the FMTs. Um, I, you've mentioned you, you felt like you took on some problems from your donors. Yeah. So donor five was the main one that gave me uh, problems. I got like new food intolerances to what to like, just like a huge range of foods that I'm still trying to figure out. Some of them would be sweet potatoes. Like I, I was eating sweet potatoes every day and then sweet potatoes seemed problematic. How so? Like what happened? Basically, just uh, my entire condition just uh, gets worse, like mm-hmm. fatigue gets worse. And um, at the time, I was having um, arthritis pains as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, spinach was another one that caused, like, major problems. Mm-hmm. Some of the problems with that were, like, I felt like I had brain inflammation. Like, my head would get, like, like burning and, and hurting and um, really low brain function. When you ate spinach after that transplant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And given that you're such an expert on this, do you have a sort of a favorite method of doing the transplants? I kind of just do it uh, both uh, orally and uh, rectally by enema. Mm-hmm. Do you use the the official enemas or just the, the small bottles that you get at the drugstore? You can, you know, you can, you could do that. You can go to the drugstore and like empty out one of the enema bottles and then, you know, put the, uh, the fecal slurry in there and use that. Uh, but the uh, nozzles are a little thin. Mm-hmm. So I prefer to use a turkey baster, which has like a, a wider nozzle. So it, it doesn't get stuck as easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And how do you prepare the stool to, to do the transplant? Basically, the donor just goes in a Ziploc bag mm-hmm. and then just they need to seal out the air as soon as possible mm-hmm. because um, microbes die really quick, gut microbes die really quick when they're exposed to oxygen. Right. So it's important for them to squeeze out all the air right away. Mm-hmm. And then um, as soon as you can use that stool, the better. So ideally, like within 15 minutes, you can like, you start using that stool and like add water to it. You can just mix it up uh, from outside of the bag with your hand mm-hmm. and then uh, just, you know, dip the uh, turkey baster in there and just infuse it. Wow. Okay. Quick and easy. Yeah. Okay. And do you have a protocol for getting it deeper into your colon? Uh, yeah. You have to like, like go online and, and look at a diagram of the colon mm-hmm. so you can get an idea of like how it will flow through the colon. And then you have to like lie ideally in uh, uh, declined positions to get it to flow through the entire colon. Mm-hmm. Okay. And do you, can you feel it going through or do you, you can't really tell? You know, it, it really varies. Like the first time I ever did it, I wasn't really sure. Mm-hmm. I did like a lot of stomach contractions and, um, you know, uh, pushing with my hand. And um, I think I, I felt it, you know, a little bit. But then once it got like, the, the, the pocket between the uh, the junction of the large intestine and the small intestine, mm-hmm. that's like a really important zone for like the immune system. Mm-hmm. And once it gets to that point, I can I usually get some type of reaction. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, even if I can't feel it like going all the way through, I'll definitely feel it once it gets there usually. Mm-hmm. So I have talked to doctors who've said, 
well, doing a fecal transplant yourself isn't good because you can't get it high enough in the colon. Do you think that's false, that you can, in fact, get it up there? Yeah, you can definitely get it up there if you're doing the correct uh, positions. Mm-hmm. Like I use a, uh, a inversion table. So it's it's like a you go upside down. You're right. It's for your back. But you can also like when I didn't have that, I was doing like I was laying like with my head on the floor and my hips were up on the couch. Mm-hmm. And so I was in, in decline like that right. and getting it to flow all the way through like that. But, yeah, I mean, if you're just like laying flat. Uh, it probably doesn't have that good of a chance to go all the way through. And presumably you're using distilled water with the with the stool? Yeah, distilled water is, I think uh, saline is recommended. Mm-hmm. But I either use, I, I, in the past I either used distilled water or just uh, filtered tap water. Mm-hmm. Okay. And is there anything else you wanted to share with our listeners about your experiences? Any takeaways well you know th- there are a few takeaways some of the main ones are that it's really really difficult to find a high quality donor they're like like 0.5 percent of the population or less mm-hmm. and also if it really seems like you know b- both from my experiences other people's experiences and from the literature it seems like uh, fecal transplants have the opportunity to basically be a panacea as long as the donor is high quality enough. Mm-hmm. So basically these, you know, perfectly healthy people, they're flushing really, really valuable medicine down the toilet. Mm-hmm. So we really, really need these really healthy people to start donating their stool. Yeah. And did you ever consider reaching out to like Ubiome or one of these places that test stool and says, would you consider reaching out to the highest quality reads that you get on? Stool absolutely and- uh, absolutely i've you know i've i contact you know everyone i can I, I contact the stool banks i write to the um clinics i write to the researchers mm-hmm. i you know pass on all kinds of information and experiences and um yeah i talk to them and i i even i, I write to the fda to nih mm-hmm. um and you know i i really hope that you know other people we, I think what we need is for a lot of people to become like really informed and then to start writing all those, all those people as well. Yeah. Because yeah, right now the, the donor quality being used is just, in my opinion, really, really poor. Yeah. And now I know for a while there, there was on the power of there was a donor registry. Was that taken down? Yeah, I, I guess so. Cause yeah, I, I did try to, um, to take advantage of that and I was never able to do it. And so yeah, I think they did take it down. I'm not yeah, sure why. I, th- I think it may have been a regulatory issue, but that is a shame <laughs> that, that you can't just have a forum where you can easily have people connecting with potential donors. Yeah. I mean, there have been some other attempts to, to create those forums. I just, um, it seems like there's not, uh, enough people like spreading the word about them right. and then, you know, not enough healthy people volunteering. Yeah. So, so the message is if you're healthy, you have no conditions whatsoever. No, you're not overweight. You have no asthma. You have no allergies. You have no, obviously no STDs. You are in a safe place with regard to that, that you should be considering being a donor for someone. Yeah. Basically, you know, if, if you're in perfect health, uh, you're happy, athletic, intelligent. You've never taken antibiotics. No um, mental illness. 
exactly, no mental illness, and you have type three stools, you're very, very likely one of the, you know, top 0.5% of -hmm. the population. So I would strongly encourage you to reach out to just start with like friends and family. If you know any friends and family that are unhealthy, you know, reach out and say, I'd like to donate my stool to you. Yeah. You know, you can go online, you can look up some information, you can pass on that information to them. You can, you know, say, look, here's this, here's this, here's this procedure. You know, it's, you know, completely free. You know, I'm in perfect health. So there's very little risk. Um, you know, it could possibly cure you. You, you know, you want to give it a try, but you know, it, it is important for people to be really well informed before they start doing this procedure because there are absolutely risks. Right. It's only as safe as the donor is healthy. Right, right. Okay. Well, that, it may be a bit of a stretch for people to reach out to friends and family to offer to do this who haven't requested, <laughs> but yeah. but I, I would love for there to be some place where a person could, could offer up their services or offer up their stool. Is there Are there any oh. forums that you think would be a good place for them to go to online? Oh, okay. So, yeah, actually... So if you're in the U.S., you could probably contact RDS Infusions Clinic in Florida, mm-hmm. and they can probably screen you. You don't you you don't have to even live in the same state. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can see a doctor and get screened in your own state. Mm-hmm. You can you can uh, ship your stool in dry ice either to the clinic and or to directly to the donors. So yeah, RDS Clinic would probably actually be the uh, the place to go. Okay. Or if you live in um, uh, the Boston area, there's Open Biome, they're a stool bank, and they ship a stool out to all around the U.S., to doctors all around the U.S., but they, they only do it for a C. diff stool. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, and you do have to be local to Open Biome? Yeah, for Open Biome, you have to be local, but mm-hmm. for RDS Clinic, you could be anywhere in the U.S. And isn't there a stool bank in San Francisco as well? Um, yeah, I, they, you know... I think there are some other stool banks opening around the U.S., and I'm not super familiar with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Open Biome and RDS are, are the main ones that I'm familiar with. Okay, and are the are people paid for their stool donations at uh, RDS? Yep, yep. They get um, so if the patient orders it directly from the donor, mm-hmm. the donor you know gets all the money. So it's you know eighty dollars per uh, infusion and so ten dollars per capsule. Eighty dollars per poop. Basically, um, actually, you know, it, it depends on how large your stool is. Um, you could probably make, you know, multiple infusions from from one stool. So, well, yeah, you so could you're, possibly. You're literally sitting a on a gold mine there if you're a exactly. healthy person. Exactly. <laughs> okay. And then I know Open Biome pays for donations, but probably not quite so much, right? Yeah, Open Biome. They have about, I think, uh, I think they give about forty or fifty dollars per stool. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you could probably you know, make more money with uh, RDS and you could probably help more people as well since they, uh, you know, they don't have the same restrictions. So RDS is willing to connect people with a variety of conditions to potential donors. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's Whereas great. Open Biome, you know, they, you know, it's all done through them. So they don't, they can't uh, direct patients directly to the donors. Mm-hmm. So okay. they have that limitation. Okay. And so uh, we're going to put all the resources that you have sent me uh, in the show notes, and you can connect to those there. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Michael, and for sharing your experiences. Cool. No problem. Okay. Thanks for having me. You too. Thanks for listening. 
If you're enjoying the show, please give me a rating so other people can find me and make sure you've subscribed in your podcasting app. And I'd love to hear from listeners via email why you're interested in the show, what you liked, what you didn't like, what you'd like more of or less of, etc. So please email me at lindsay at highdeserthealthcoaching.com or follow and write me on Facebook at my High Desert Health page and tell me what you think. And be sure to include whether I can read your letter on the air. So thanks for listening. And here's wishing you a perfect stupid.